Hey, my name's Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. We just, um, we come to you this morning and as we've been making our way, looking at valleys, what it looks like to be faithful in them. I pray this morning as we wrapped it up, Lord, that our eyes would just be fixed on you. That as we get into some of the tricky stuff and the hard stuff that we face, we would not forget who you are, how good you are, Lord. And that we can ultimately say no matter how hard what we are going through is, that it is well because we know a good and faithful and loving Father who will come again. We're so grateful, Lord, for that confidence. We're so grateful that we're able to say that in any situation that we're in, whether high or low, Lord, mountaintop or valley, you are so, so good. And so it is well with me, Lord. We give this time to you. We ask for you to speak. We ask for you just to continue to be present. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Hey, so um, I have the privilege of, of wrapping up our series this morning that has been looking at valleys over the last four weeks. Um, and the other speakers did such a great job, didn't they? Um, man, it was so good. Jake and Andrew and Liv. Uh, these are not easy passages to work through, um, but they, they did it so well. And it's, it's been such a special series because, you know, we believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed. And so it is all valuable for correction and teaching, even the tricky bits. And so it's been a real blessing to make our way through some of these harder passages and still see that God is good and how we can even relate to Him and grow and get to know Him more through some of these tougher places in the Scriptures. And so, yeah, they did a great job. And, and one thing I picked up on through the last three weeks is that since this is a bit more of a heavy series, uh, you've got to kick off with a slightly lighter intro, right, to ease into it. Maybe a, a funny story or something before you then bum everybody out. Um, no, nah, I, I, don't worry. I think there's actually a lot of hope in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, and I'm really excited uh, to share that with you. Um, but just in case, I do have a lighter story to kick us off uh, before we get there. You see, when I was in uni, I had the uh, opportunity to take a short-term mission trip down to New Orleans. Um, it, it had lined up to where Mardi Gras and the Super Bowl were on the same week. And so there was going to be hundreds of thousands of people wandering the streets of New Orleans, and it was a great opportunity to go down and do some street evangelism and, and share the gospel with people. And so unfortunately, I didn't get to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, that was out of the, the mission trip budget. But um, I did get to have uh, some awesome conversations with people about Jesus. Uh, there was one guy who had never heard the gospel in his entire life, and he was about in his 50s, um, and he was so keen to know more, and I got to tell him about Jesus, and it was this real special conversation. And so um, we were down there for about three days, I think, and we stayed on this campsite, and a couple of local churches hosted us. And during Mardi Gras, there is this uh, tradition uh, to cook something called a king cake. And these people who were hosting us, they had made us one there at the campsite. Um, and it was quite a unique looking cake, right? I'd never had anything like this. Um, and so I was like, how many opportunities will I get to give this a try? Um, so yeah, I'll grab a piece. Uh, not that it you know, took much convincing. Um, but the lady serving the food, she uh, dished me up a big slice. Then I went and sat down with some friends and um, just started, you know, getting into it while having some yarns around the table. But I got a couple of bites in, 
And then I suddenly felt like a clunk between my teeth. And I say clunk because nothing crunched other than possibly a few of my teeth breaking. Um, And it felt like I had just bitten into like a piece of bone. But why would there be bone in a cake? Um, And so with a horrified look on my face, I reach into my mouth to pull out whatever I've just bitten into, which turned out to be one of these, a little plastic baby, um, which now had a big dent in its head in the shape of my molars. And uh, at this moment, I'm still just as confused as the moment when I took that bite, because... um, what is a plastic baby doing in my piece of cake? And uh, everybody that I was sitting around the table with, they also had no idea because this was all our first time eating this cake. And so we're all sitting there confused. I'm checking to make sure no pieces of my teeth have chipped off. And uh, the lady who had been serving us some food notices what's going on. And she goes, oh, did you get the baby? If this, as if that was like a normal thing to be asking. Um, as if this was no accident, that some kid didn't accidentally misplace their toy in the baking process, but this was actually done on purpose. And so anyway, it turns out that during Mardi Gras, there is this tradition that each year when you make a king cake, you place a little plastic baby in the cake, and whoever gets that baby has to then make the king cake for the following year. Uh, But nobody had prefaced us with this important fact. And so instead, I found myself a little confused and unsettled to find a plastic baby in my mouth. Uh, That was the last thing I expected. And at this point, despite being told, don't worry, there's only ever one baby in the cake, um, I was put off and I didn't want to eat any more. You know, what I was expecting was a delicious cake, but instead I got a mildly traumatic experience. Um, Does that mean that the cake wasn't good? No, the cake was great, and it still would have been good if I had continued to eat it, but I did not enjoy my experience of it. And today, as we make our way through our chapter in Habakkuk, we'll see that the prophet Habakkuk felt a similar way, not about cake, uh, but about another situation far more grand and serious, something that apparently was going to be a good thing, but something that Habakkuk was sure he would not enjoy. Now, I just do want to preface that here in New Zealand, I think we usually pronounce Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Uh, But I went to seminary in the south of the U.S. where if something can be abbreviated so it takes less effort, it will be. Um, And so for a number of years, what I heard over and over again was Habakkuk, Habakkuk. And so if I let a few Habakkuk slip uh, through this message or say some sort of weird combination of the two, as I found myself doing when I was practicing... um, then I just ask you to be gracious and uh, let it slide and not let it um, take away from what is important this morning. And so Habakkuk is not a long book. Um, It's only three short chapters, and I'd actually really encourage you to give it a read this coming week if you get the chance so you can see for yourself what we're talking about. But to set the scene for the verses that we're going to be reading this morning and to give you some context for what Habakkuk is all about, Habakkuk was a prophet during the final years of the southern kingdom of Judah, Israel's southern kingdom of Judah. And during this time, Judah was heavily involved in idolatry and injustice could be seen everywhere. The people of Judah had been worshipping the false god Baal and they had even got into child sacrifice and were sacrificing their children through fire to the uh, the false god Moloch. And this moral and spiritual deterioration, it really bothered Habakkuk. 
You see, the same thing had taken place in the northern kingdom of Israel, and the northern kingdom of Israel uh, had pretty much been totally destroyed with all of its inhabitants taken away into captivity by the Assyrians. And though the southern kingdom of Judah was now under the rule of Assyria, the Assyrians had allowed the people of Judah to remain. But there was a new empire on the rise, the Babylonians, who were becoming a very real threat and were going to be uh, likely able to take on the Assyrians, which mean they would then likely invade Judah in the near future. And so Habakkuk feared that Babylon would be to Judah what Assyria had been to Israel. And so usually in times like these, it would be the role of the prophet to warn the people You know, we have to change our ways. We have to turn back to God. If the Babylonians show up and we're relying on Baal and Moloch to to protect us, this is not going to go well. But more than that, just the way that we're treating each other, the fact that we're sacrificing children, this is no way to build a healthy society. Let's turn back to God and let his good ways guide us and shape us as a nation. The book of Habakkuk, however, Habakkuk, first one already, takes a very different approach. Um, I'm sure that the prophet Habakkuk did proclaim these sorts of messages to the people of Judah, uh, but that's not what is in his book. Instead, you see, Habakkuk is struggling with the age-old question, if God is good, how can there be so much evil in the world? And the book of Habakkuk is his dialogue back and forth with God on this very subject. It's a great book to, uh, to check out if that's a question that you've been wrestling with. And so Habakkuk, he kicks off the book by saying this. He asks this question in his own words. He says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Essentially, if you are a good God, why do you allow this to happen? Why don't you do something when I call out to you about it? And God responds to Habakkuk, but God's answer is not what Habakkuk expected or would have hoped for. God essentially says, don't worry, Habakkuk, I do see the injustice that you speak of. In fact, I'm preparing to deal with it right now. I'm raising up the Babylonians, and I will use them to judge the nation of Judah like I did with the Assyrians and Israel. And Habakkuk is like, whoa, well, hold on a minute, God. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, because I would consider Babylon to be far more evil than Judah, so how could this be right? How is that fair? How is that just? You are a pure God and you can't stand the sight of evil. So how could you use such an evil people as a tool of judgment? And then when are you going to deal with them? When are you going to sort out their evil? And God replies essentially saying, look, just because I'm going to use the Babylonians doesn't mean I endorse their behavior. One day I will also deal with their evil. But for now, this is how events are going to unfold. And so the chapter we find ourselves in this morning, chapter 3, which is the final chapter of Habakkuk, is Habakkuk's response to God in trying to trust in this plan that he doesn't totally feel comfortable with. So in Habakkuk chapter 3, feel free to turn there in your Bibles with me or follow the words on the screen, and this is what Habakkuk says. 
He says, I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens, and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands, and where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Kushan in distress and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in anger that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people to save your anointed ones. You crushed the heads of the wicked and stripped their bones from head to toe. With his own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I, waited, I, wait, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig tree have no blossoms, and there are no grapes in the vines, and even though the olive crops fail, and the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength, and he makes as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. You know, as Habakkuk tries to come to terms with God's plan to deal with the injustice and immorality in Judah, he first reflects on how God has been faithful to the people of Israel in the past. And Habakkuk's uh, response comes in the form of a song, so he never directly says it, but you may have picked up through his poetic imagery that Habakkuk is primarily using the Israelites' uh, captivity in Egypt, uh, leaving their captivity in Egypt, as his reference point for how God has been faithful in the past. He says, Pestilence marches before him, plague follows close behind him. These are in reference to the plagues that God brought on Egypt for refusing to release Israel from slavery. Light flashing from his hands and the earth shaking and the shattering of everlasting mountains are likely references to the Israelites' encounter with God at Mount Sinai. We also know that God struck the rivers of Egypt and parted the sea for the Israelites to cross to the other side and that waters piled high upon the Egyptian soldiers who rushed out like a whirlwind trying to recapture the Israelites after they left Egypt. Habakkuk is reflecting on how God has been faithful to the people of Israel before and that he will be again. But what I find really interesting is how Habakkuk looks back at all these events 
And he also considers how they might be misinterpreted to not be the right thing, just like God sending the Babylonians. God, you sent plagues upon Egypt. The earth shook at Mount Sinai. Lightning flashed, thunder rolled, and the nations trembled. Was it in anger that you did these things, that you struck the rivers and you parted the sea? No, it was to rescue your people, it was to free them from captivity. Was it all rainbows and butterflies for the Israelites in the process? No, at times as the Israelites made their way through the wilderness, they complained and they said, we should have never left Egypt. At least back there we knew where our next meal was coming from. But they couldn't see the full picture. Ultimately, God was rescuing them and leading them to the promised land. And so he would split open the earth to provide them with water. He would stop the sun in the sky for them as Joshua and the Israelites were in battle. And he would use the Israelites to deal with other evil nations. But unfortunately, Judah had now become one of those very nations. And so Habakkuk is basically saying, look, when the Babylonians come, it's not going to feel good, God. It's not going to feel good. This is meant to be a good thing that will deal with all that's been going on in Judah, but I am not going to enjoy the experience. It's going to feel like you've abandoned us. It's going to feel like you don't care anymore, God. But I know that in the past we've felt that way, and generations later I, Habakkuk, can see that you were true and faithful to Israel. You were saving and refining your people, and you'll be doing the same when Babylon comes. This idolatry and injustice in Judah isn't going to end on its own. It's going to take a massive shake-up from you, God, to put an end to it. And the Babylonians are who you have chosen to do it and how to deal with it. And so even though I don't feel totally comfortable with this method, I'm trusting that you'll be faithful in the process and that this valley will ultimately be for our good and your glory. You know, sometimes in life, it is unclear and difficult to know how God could be in or moving through different situations. Whether that's uh, different conflicts going on in our world right now, a global pandemic that took the lives of millions, financial difficulty or illness within our families or within our own lives, it's easy and understandable to say, where are you in all this, God? Like Habakkuk to say, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? And that's a fair and reasonable thing to be wondering. Habakkuk wonders that very thing, and it's here in the Bible for us to read. So God obviously thought it to be important enough to pass down to all of us, to his followers through the ages, for us to know and for us to wrestle with as well. And look, I want to make very clear that those examples I just gave of conflict and the pandemic and financial difficulty or illness, um, I am by no means suggesting that God is the cause for any of those things. I do not have insight or knowledge to say that about any of those situations. And frankly, I'm not here to try to figure that out and answer that because I don't think we can. I can think of times in my own life where I remember thinking, ah, oh, this must be an attack of the enemy because it has messed up my plans and it just feels totally illogical. But it turned out it was just God getting me to where I needed to be rather than where I thought I should be. My student visa in the States getting cancelled and me having to return to New Zealand was one of those moments for me. You know, I was like, I'm a year away from finishing my degree. I'm working at a church. Momentum is building. I'm getting opportunities. This is surely just the enemy trying to derail a good thing. 
But really, despite all that, what was really going on was God needed me here in New Zealand to teach me some things that I wasn't going to learn in the bubble I was in. And that was something that I could only see in hindsight. For me, that time in my life was a genuine valley, but God was faithful in the process, and ultimately, it worked out for my good and God's glory. It was a good thing. I just didn't enjoy the experience. And I say that to admit that I don't have the track record in my life to believe that I can decipher what things going on in the world God is the cause of or involved in, is behind what he's doing and what he's not. Um, It's not my place to say But I know that he is good, and I know that he has a plan, and I know that he is coming back again, and so that is where my hope lies. And when I look out at the world and I see pain and I see injustice, all I can say is, I don't know what your involvement in all this is, God, but I can't wait for you to come back, and I'm here to share your good news and worship you until you do. Through it all, right? Through it all. My eyes are on you. I'm here to represent your kingdom. I'm here to create a glimpse of what heaven is like in this broken world through the power of your spirit. My hope is that my words and your words might resemble the words of Habakkuk, that even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die and and die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength, and he makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread the heights. Essentially, I don't know what your involvement in all this is, God, but I can't wait for you to come back, and I'm here to share your good news and worship you until you do. I think a statement like that is where we want to land when it comes to trying to make sense of evil in this world. And I believe that because that's where both of our examples in the Bible land. It's essentially what Habakkuk concludes, and it's pretty much what Job concludes as well. You see, Job is a character in the Bible who loses absolutely everything. His family dies, his home is destroyed, he loses his uh, livelihood and becomes extremely ill. And amongst all this, he begins to question God, and he asks is God actually fair? Is God actually just? Eventually, God responds to all this, and he asks Job a bunch of questions about the universe and life, and if Job is able to comprehend how it all works and how you would balance it all. And so God asks Job's, uh, Job things like this. He says, can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart and, in, and uh, instinct to the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil has hardened into clots? God lists all these different aspects of life and and beyond, and and he um, just lists these things that are beyond Job's knowledge or ability, with these verses just being a small example of some of the things God says. And when God is all finished, Job responds, and he says this. He says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is it? Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I had only heard of you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes and I take back everything I said. And I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Essentially, you're right, God. 
I don't understand. But it is clear to me that you know what you're doing and that you are good. I mean, try to consider it all for a moment, right? All that takes place in our world, and our universe, and you have this holy and righteous and good God who made beings in his likeness that he gave free will to, who have chosen not to be good and to do things their own way, and yet God loves us enough to still want to connect with us. How do you balance all that? How do you make the right decision at any given moment, every time? That is far beyond my ability to comprehend. And like Job, I find myself saying, I'm talking about things I know nothing about. Only God can take all of that into consideration and get it right. And often from my limited perspective, I struggle to see that. And when we try to find answers to various events that are taking place in the world, we often just end up disillusioned, angry, or unhealthily confident and caught up in conspiracies and losing track of what's truly important because we're trying to make sense of situations beyond our understanding. And so other than the fact that we are living in a world that is affected by sin, I don't know why else things happen in our lives and in our world. And I don't know why sometimes God chooses to step in or why he might use a nation like Babylon to deal with the injustice of Judah or why he might choose to not step in. I do know that God cannot stand injustice, and so eventually he deals with it, right? That's why he's coming to deal with Judah. That's why he would then later deal with Babylon. And if he doesn't deal with it in this life, he will come, when he comes back, he will ultimately crush all injustice. And so he can't stand injustice. But there are still many moments where I'm not sure how to make sense of it all and how to place it all and and figure out where God is and what he's doing amongst that. But amongst those uncertainties, I have also seen God change lives. The number of testimonies in this room would fill up our services for the rest of the year if they were all to be told. Whether it's stories of the hope and love that has been found in Jesus by individuals that had never experienced anything like that prior. I just had a conversation with someone last week who has a story like that. We've seen people healed in unexplainable ways in our community. I know recently God has provided homes for people in our community just when they needed them. They were exactly what they needed. I recently prayed with someone that God would provide them with something that from a worldly perspective was very unlikely to take place and the very next morning they received that thing. Or cool little moments where somebody says, hey, I could really use this thing. And then another person says, hey, I have this thing if anybody would need it. And it is that exact thing, uh, which happened just a couple of weeks ago as well. Well, in my own family's life, we recently had some unexpected financial circumstances in which God provided exactly what we needed to take care of that. But I don't want to just allude to vague stories, right, and just say, God's doing cool stuff, isn't it cool? Here's some, like, vague information about it. We are in the process of getting ready to start capturing these stories via video to share with you guys in our services because we believe they're worth being told and they're worth celebrating. God is doing amazing things in the lives of our community, and we want to do a better job of sharing them because often most of us wouldn't even know that they're going on. And so keep an eye out for those in the near future. We're looking forward to telling them. Just last night, we had a gig uh, here at at Crossroads. A guy um, named Marty came and and shared some of his songs with us. He's only been a Christian for a little while, and he was over in Melbourne doing some music, and and he busked during the day and do gigs at night. Uh, He had a day where he was busking, and it didn't go too well, and he was feeling a bit down. And um, he was walking back to to his home, and uh, he was making his way through a university campus on the way, just as a shortcut. And he noticed uh, this door that was open, um, 
into one room and there was a piano sitting in there. And he said he probably shouldn't have gone in there and played it, but he was like, I'm just going to go in and play for a little bit. And uh, he went in and he started playing the piano and, and some guy popped his head in and said, hey man, are you a Christian? And he said, no, I'm not. And he said, oh, I heard you playing and I just felt that you were really seeking God through your music. He said, do you believe in God? And he said, oh, I got, yeah, I guess there probably is a God. I haven't really thought about it too much. And he says, what do you know about Jesus? And he was like, uh, nothing really. And um, this guy told him about Jesus, and there in that moment, he became a follower of God, and now he uses his music to share the good news of Jesus. God is doing great things in this world and changing lives. But I recognize that amongst all of those stories are stories of hurt, stories of pain, stories where God didn't provide how you had hoped how you had prayed. And it's important to acknowledge that they are real and they do happen. And I am really sorry if that is the place that you are in right now. The incredible stories of what God is doing does not negate how real what you are going through is. And so that's why I find myself having to say, I don't know what your involvement in all this is, God, but I can't wait for you to come back and I'm here to share your good news until you do. Because I've seen too much of the Lord moving and working to be able to walk away and say it's not true. But I have also seen immense hardship. And a statement like this is the only way I can find balance amongst these things. And the same was true for Job, and the same was true for Habakkuk. I don't know why you might be finding yourself in the valley you're in, and I'm not going to attempt to give an answer. But as a community, we are here to support you and walk alongside you in this valley. Whether that be through the care of a connect group or a mentor or catching up with one of us on the pastoral team over a coffee or just some prayer with you um, after the service down here at the front. Um, we also have our share fund, which is a fund to help provide for financial needs for those in the Crossroads community, which you can come and talk to one of us in leadership about if, you, if that would be helpful to you. Um, we're here for you. We're here to walk alongside you, support you. And amongst the valleys, we are here to declare that even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes in the vines, and even though the olive crop fails, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation to declare together that we don't know what God's involvement is in all things, but we can't wait for him to come back. We're here to share his good news, and we're going to worship him together until he does come back. And I mentioned how Habakkuk and Job, they both seemed to, to really get that, right? And they drew similar conclusions. But there is one other who really gets it, and his name is Jesus. He gets us. He gets us. You see... Through Jesus, God was going to do a good thing that Jesus would definitely not enjoy. Jesus was going to give his life on the cross and die a brutal and painful death, something that he had never done anything to deserve because he had never sinned. All that so you and I could be reconnected with God. A holy, righteous, and good God who loves us so much that he would go to extreme lengths to do what ultimately would be a good thing. Because Jesus would rise from the dead. He had never sinned, so he had never partaken in what is the cause of death. So death could not be final for him. And now death does not have to be final for any of us who believe this to be true. This is the good news. This is the gospel of Jesus. But you see, before those events transpired, Jesus spent some time praying to God. And he knew how hard what he was going to do was going to be. And he said, Father... 
If you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. This was going to be a good thing. But Jesus was not going to enjoy the experience. But he was willing to do it. And prior to this prayer, Jesus spent time with his disciples, breaking bread and drinking wine. And he told his disciples that this bread is a symbol of my body that is going to be broken for you. And this wine, it is a symbol of my blood being poured out for you. Basically, what I'm going to do is going to be excruciating, but I am doing it for you. And so take this bread and take this wine and remember me. Jesus gets it. He gets us. He gets what we're talking about this morning. He gets what it's like to be in the valley. He gets what it's like to experience a difficult thing that is ultimately for our good. And so now we're going to take some time to remember that. We're going to remember that very thing by coming and taking these emblems, the juice and the bread, and remembering his body that has been broken for us and his blood that was poured out for us. And as we do, Rachel is going to sing a song over us, which many of the lyrics are taken directly from the words of Job. And the the chorus says this. It says, Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. And though you ruin me, still I will worship and sing a song to the one who's all I need. And so as we come now, and we reflect on Jesus' sacrifice, and we dwell on the words of the song as, as Rachel sings it over us, my hope and prayer is that amongst that, we can declare, I don't know what your involvement is in all this, God, but I can't wait for you to come back. And I'm here to share your good news and worship you until you do. And if during that time it would be helpful for you to receive some prayer, myself and the other leaders, we will be down here at the front. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to be there for you. As a community, we are there for each other and we help each other through the valleys. We may not have all the answers, but we are here to to support each other and worship God and praise Him as we do. So let me just pray for us. Lord, as we move into this time of communion and we remember what you did for us, a good thing that was a hard thing, a good thing that you would not have enjoyed doing, Lord. Um, We are so grateful. We're so grateful, for example, that you'd be willing to do that for us. We're thankful, Lord, that um, sometimes it's not down to what is good and what is bad, but sometimes it's down to what is wise, and sometimes what is wise is a hard thing to do. And so I pray, Lord, that wherever we are, whatever we're going through, that you would just continue to be faithful to us, as you've promised that you will be that you will walk alongside us, be there for us, and that we would be able to trust that whether you're the cause or you're not, however you're involved, Lord, you are still, still a good God and you will come back again and we can trust in that and we can have hope in that. I pray as a community, we would support each other, walk alongside each other, be there for each other in the valleys so that we can continue to praise you, continue to worship you, continue to trust in you, even when it feels like it's too difficult to do so, Lord. And so we thank, we're so thankful for your faithfulness. We're so thankful for your goodness. We so, are so thankful that you're righteous, Lord. I pray that we would remember that when it's hard to see it. Pray that we would remember that you can't stand injustice, Lord, that you deal with it, and you're one day going to deal with all of it, and you're going to make all things right. May we not lose sight of that. May we remember that is who you are. And so we just pray now, Lord, as we move into this time and we just reflect on your death and resurrection that you would just speak to us, be with us. For those here, Lord, who are going through a valley, would you just comfort them? Just be there.
Just give them a sense of peace. Just be really present with your spirit. And so we give this time into your hands, Lord. We thank you for this time in your word. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, my name's Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy.